Welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I am your host. For today's episode, I got to talk with Brandon Sertain, who I met during my time as a graduate student at LSU. Brandon was studying painting and also playing defensive back for the LSU Tigers football team. Uh, He is a New Orleans-based artist now. He's getting his master's from Tulane in architecture uh, and, of course, is uh, still always will be a diehard New Orleans Saints fan. Um, So I've been meaning to interview Brandon for a while because we met in art school and he has this uh, deep connection to sports and it was really wonderful to have him on the podcast to unpack some of the similarities and differences between these interests and how they kind of evolve side by side. So thank you so much to Brandon for coming on the show, Um, and thank you so much for listening. Feel free to rate and review the podcast. That is so helpful to me. Share it with anyone that you know, and don't forget to subscribe. Okay, here we go. Since you played sports so seriously um, for the LSU Tigers football team, and since you're also a working artist, I'm just very interested in in that crossover, if there is crossover between those two practices. So mm-hmm. I'm just interested in how you how you started in sports um, and, you know, the sort of evolution of then getting to play at uh, in college and then also how you started with art. Um. Well, I've never uh, <laughs> sort of talked about it in in this way. Sure. Um, but I I've really been doing um, both for just about all my life. Um, so just growing up in New Orleans, uh, it's a football town, really, with the Saints and. Um, I had a cousin who played in the NFL, uh, Patrick Sertain. And so he uh, he was, you know, like a hero of mine growing up. And being the youngest, I um, like all of my cousins played football. They were all much better than I was. Uh, <laughs> and I would just sort of follow their lead. Um, with that and you know just always trying to compete and just sort of I didn't realize until I started playing with other kids my age the effect that you know playing with my older cousins had on me Mm -hmm. because then when I would play with kids my age it was like well this is a lot easier than you know (laughs) This is a lot easier than when I'm playing against my family. Right. Um, and I think that's when I started to kind of um, sort of take football seriously. Yeah. And it's a, it was a similar thing with art. Um, it was something that I just loved doing as a kid and I had um, friends that were making art and a lot of it was just sort of, you know, being influenced by them and watching. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dragon Ball Z, if you ever watched that. Um, I've just heard of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if I've watched it myself. Yes, but please enlighten me about it. Um, well, it was, it was this, uh, like, this anime cartoon. Um, and... Yeah, it just kind of started with trying to draw Dragon Ball Z um, characters, and there was all there was this cartoon um, Static Shock, who was a really interesting superhero character. He was he he was like black and had dreads and was a superhero, and so trying <laughs> trying to draw him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was something similar to the to the football thing that I just kind of did as a kid um you know for fun really and just trying to it kind it was just 
like sort of trying to do the best at like emulating the the characters that I was looking at on TV. Uh, and then at some point, one of my teachers or yeah, I think one of my teachers, you know, sort of saw that I'd been drawing a lot in class. And um she, you know, thought that the drawings were good enough to get me tested to um so we had like this talented art program at school, which was which basically meant that for like two hours a week they would allow you to go to like leave your classroom to go make art. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in Baton Rouge. This was this was in New Orleans at the time. Okay. Um, so this was before Hurricane Katrina. Um, and so I did the testing for the talented art and got into it. And um, I think this was in this was in second or third grade. And um, fast forward to 2005, I'm in sixth grade now, and um, Hurricane Katrina happens. And, you know, my family evacuated to Baton Rouge. Um, It was 63 family members. Um, And we lived in two, three-bedroom apartments for, like, for, like, two or three months before people, you know, realized that, you know, that, like, this is life now and started to sort of go elsewhere. Of all the like middle school age children, so you know kids that were in grades like sixth through eighth grade, all of my like brothers and cousins that were within that age went to one school, and because I was in the talented art program, the school that they all went to didn't have that, mm. and so I had to go to school by myself, um, and so. It was, you know, I had like a dozen or so family members at one particular school, and I was like really excited to be able to go to school with all of them. And then I found out that I had to go to a different school because I was in talented art. Yeah. Uh, And so that was in sixth grade. And um, oh, and on top of that, the school didn't allow sixth graders to play football. So I had to wait till seventh grade to be able to play. And this was the first time in my life that I played football around, you know, like not around my family, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and I think like literally the first day of practice, um, I did some like some made did a good play. And that was like that was the first time that I've been in an environment playing football when where I wasn't, you know, familiar with most of the people around me. Yeah. And um that's when I kind of went like, oh, this isn't you know, um like this is you know, this is a lot different than than playing with my cousins, you know, sort of mm-hmm. kicking butt all the time. Um and yeah, from there my coaches were just really supportive in terms of like providing me the resources to go forth and, you know, trying, trying to keep me busy around the clock. And in hindsight, that was, that was really influential um, because I didn't necessarily live in the best neighborhood in Baton Rouge. And so, you know, having, people around me at the school um you know sort of pushing me to to keep going to stay busy to do football to do basketball to do track um I spent a lot of time at school uh and you know so sort of consequence of that it kept me from you know just hanging around in this neighborhood that wasn't the best and um it was really a, a blessing in hindsight when, you know, originally I was kind of looking at it like, you know, I sort of felt like the unlucky one because I had to go to school by myself. Right. But yeah, so that was, 
a, a really long way of saying yes, yes, there were people <laughs> supporting me. Right. So, so then um, you get to high school and you're playing football at McKinley yeah. High School, which is just down the street from LSU. Yes, yes. And when did it um, sort of become clear that you could... I mean, I'm sure it wasn't until your last year or whatever, but like, when did you think that you might play football in college, especially at a school like LSU, which growing up in uh, Louisiana, I'm I'm sure it's like, and I mean, almost everywhere, I mean, especially after this year, it's like, it's, it's right. top notch. Yeah. Um, so I basically decided um when we won the the championship in 2007 um i say we i mean lsu right i mean <laughs> i think you, you can claim it yeah <laughs> <laughs> when we won the championship in 2007 um i was in middle school at the time and you know sort of wrapping up with that chapter of my life um that was when i decided that i wanted to play football for LSU. Um, like before that I had, you know, I was, I've been a fan, but I was a, a casual fan because I didn't really like growing up in New Orleans, everything is, is saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like college football wasn't as prevalent, at least in my household. Um, and, you know, we, like, we talked about college sometimes, I guess, um, but it was more so, I don't think it was necessarily thought of as, like, um, it, it, it was, like, a privilege, you know, but it wasn't necessarily something that's, like, if, if, if you don't go to college, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be perceived as, you know, less than or anything like that. It was yes. just sort of a dream to, to do um before that then when i you know saw us win the championship in 2007 and being at glasgow you know being around people who you know like they they were going to college for sure right like this the conversation shifted from sort of this pipe dream to you know how to how do we make definite plans to accomplish that mm-hmm. um and so I made the decision then and like in high school started playing um, my freshman year. I didn't, I didn't play varsity. I played on like the freshman team, the JV team, junior varsity. Um, and it was, it was fine. I, I did. Okay. Uh then I think going into my sophomore year, like the camp going into my sophomore year, I had a coach, um, Eugene Daniel, and they, um, I actually hadn't been playing like only defensive back up until then. Um, he had me play only defensive back. And so with that, you can sort of focus on mm-hmm. one position and, I think around that time is when I started to sort of uh, really like fine tune my skills and things like that. And not to mention, he was really influential because he actually went to, he, he attended LSU and then went on to play in the NFL for, I think like 12 or 13 years. And so we had someone in house that, you know, that sort of had accomplished all the things that I did at the time. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was huge. Going into my senior year of football and, um, so coach Gene left, but just kept playing, kept, you know, amassing tape, things like that during camps. Um, and I actually didn't get offered from LSU. Um, I got an interest from Southern and Northwestern. Um, and I told my coach, our head coach at the time, uh, coach signator, coach Robert signator, um, when schools would come to visit, uh, I told him, I said, Hey coach, you know, I, I appreciate it, but you know, I talked to him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to LSU, right. <laughs> um, regardless. 
And so with that, um, yeah, I just started to send out tape and, you know, send out my film and, and reach out. And thankfully they thought it was, you know, they liked the film enough to <laughs> to want me to join the team. And so that's how that happened. Um, and meanwhile, I was um, still sort of doing the art as well. And so things started to kind of come together in the same way where I was kind of being in a position to to do the things in college that I've been doing since I was, you know, four or five years old. <laughs> yeah. And did you go into college as a as an art major? No, actually. Um, I, again, even, wow, this is so funny to think about. Um, so I was on... I was I was like on my computer one day and I had already gotten accepted to LSU and had already, you know, been in touch with the coaches and things like that. And my friend Joseph called me and uh <laughs> he was he was gonna be attending LSU as well and he asked me what I was um like had I figured out a major. Uh-huh. <laughs> I told him I said no, I hadn't figured out a major yet. Um, and I asked him, you know, the same, had he figured out a major and he, um, I think the conversation literally was something like, um, like, no, but I'm looking online and I, like, I see petroleum engineers can make a lot of money and you can only have to like go to school for four years. So I think we should do that. <laughs> and I think that was like the extent of the conversation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's right. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> like, that was, you know, that was just like, when I think back on it, um, wow, that was really outrageous. That was yeah. literally the extent of, like, the searching I did to sort of figure out what it is I wanted to do. Um, and, yeah, because... Like I said, for for me, I was in a position where I'm 17 years old at the time, and I got accepted into school, and my family, you know, they're happy for me. Um, you know, my my cousin, who I mentioned earlier, who played football in the NFL, he'd been to college, uh, but that was, you know, by this time, that was maybe 15 or more years ago, and, um, you know, no one in my like household had been to college or was even really all that familiar with that process. And so, you know, there just wasn't a, a lot of, you know, sort of guidance in terms of how to make decisions regarding any of that. And so, yeah, it was just, <laughs> this outrageous uh, decision made at 17 years old. Um, and then, so going into school, I, you know, petroleum engineering um and the first fall i can recall um joseph and i we, we'd be in class we had some classes together um and after classes we would try to go to all the there were there were different like career meetings and things like that and we would try to go and you know, be involved, and we would spend a lot of time on campus and shooting pool and doing this and that. And I thought that because I was spending a lot of time, like, on campus and, you know, being social, that that equated to me being a good college student. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> to say I didn't do very well uh, my first semester in school, um, which also affected my football eligibility as well. Um, I, the first semester, I just thought I was, I was just happy to be there. You could sure, say. yeah. I was just happy to be on campus, be in that environment. Um, granted, McKinley is literally like a 10-minute walk away from LSU's campus, but, you know, I didn't spend much time on LSU's campus in high school. Um and then going into the spring of my second year, I was sitting in my mom's kitchen 
um, just talking with her and, you know, describing to her sort of all, like everything that had transpired in terms of me not getting off to the best start, um, you know, to explain to her, you know, that it had affected my eligibility to football and everything. Um, and not to mention the fact that I was, um, so I had spent the previous, you know, two semesters sort of making my grades up to, to be able to, you know, be back in good standing with the team and all that. And, um, but I just expressed to her, you know, I hadn't been very, I hadn't been feeling very engaged with, you know, with school up until that point. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talked for maybe an hour and, you know, she, she basically just, you know, asked me to, to make sure that whatever I was doing, it was something that was true to me and not necessarily doing anything to try to please her or anyone else or, you know, to try to like chase money or whatever the case may be. Um, and so from that conversation, you know, as soon as I could, I changed my major and decided to go um, into studio arts. And um, so, yeah, then the, I think at that point, things started to, you know, I started to feel a bit more grounded and, and you know, became a lot more engaged what, with everything I was doing. Because um, up until that point, it was kind of just, I had no clue what I was doing and um, just sort of figuring everything out on the fly. But once I got to that point, football was familiar to me, art was familiar to me, and it was just a matter of, of sort of applying myself to those things and, and going forth. Wow, that's just a really... Um... I had no idea that you were a uh, mechanical engineer for a while. <laughs> yeah, petroleum. Petroleum, yeah. <laughs> engineer, yes. Wow, yeah. <laughs> well, and also, I think we met. So, I mean, when I met you in at LSU, it seemed like mm. you you'd already been there for so long. I mean, I'm not sure exactly at what point we met in your time there, but it just for me, I I've only known you as an artist. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, by that time, luckily, I think I just been able to sort of settle in because um, it was just such a I I look back on it and I I mean, I'm just happy that I that I didn't like stop. Just I'm just happy that I didn't quit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because I, I had no idea what I was doing and, and everything was brand new and unfamiliar and just sort of really shaky. Um, and I think by the time I met you, I was um, I was already starting to take some of the, you know, like some of the high level painting courses and um, had, you know, settled into my studio space and stuff like that. So, yeah, things were pretty uh, we met when things were, you know, pretty stable in terms of my, you know, time at LSU. Yeah. I'm wondering, so to talk about your artwork specifically, mm -hmm. I, there's so much. Well, first of all, it, it feels so tied to New Orleans mm -hmm. as a place that there's uh, so many of the of the pieces feel like these little, or they're not little, but that they're these odes to, to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, and that deep appreciation is there. And there's also the stillness that sometimes when I've been in New Orleans, like, I mean, I just, I think that that stillness of your trash can series, let's say, <laughs> and I actually had my own, love affair with dumpsters for a while <laughs> um photographing the sides of them because they're so rusted and they all have these different but very similar markings on them um, and i thought they were really beautiful i mean yeah i think that like i thought that they could be translated into this sort of 
work of art in a sense where I walk by dumpsters all the time and I'm not looking at them. But when I was trying to make artwork out of them, I'd stop and and think uh-huh. about them in a more serious way. Uh-huh. And your trash can series has a lot of uh, sort of quiet appreciation for day to day scenarios mm-hmm. and things that we all kind of see. I mean, really, no matter where we are, I think. Well, maybe in, if you're in a very rural area, you're not going to run into as many trash cans. <laughs> but um, if you're in a city, you do see trash right. cans, you see dumpsters, things like that. And so I, I think that like the trash can series is, is a little bit more universal to me than some of the other work, which feels so much about New Orleans. But all of it has this stillness to it, this quietness, mm-hmm. this this sort of reverence for that place. And mm-hmm. I just want you to talk about that if you could if that's true i mean that's my my take on it well thank you for that um i can like speaking to you know sort of the the stillness or you know sort of the quietness um that you mentioned i think i think that is sort of an effect of just my like really my journey with art um because early on when i so when i got to high school i began to sort of pursue like this this hyper realistic um art form and um for me at the time you know it was all it was always about sort of the the technical execution it was about how can i get this to resemble you know life or resemble the photo as closely as possible and there wasn't much um exploration in terms of like composition or um sometimes a, a painting can you know sometimes you can overdo a painting uh, and that was something that I think I was guilty of a lot in high school where I would just sort of paint the life right out of it um and you know I I did that and and I got to a point where I think I sort of reached like as far as I can go with that uh, and this was in high school I spent the, you know, I spent my time in high school just sort of trying to do the best I could to sort of perfect this technical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to the point where I, I don't even think it was about the art necessarily um, in terms of what it was saying more so than it was like just how, like, how, how much detail can you fit in the thing? How much can you pack into a painting or a drawing or whatever the case um and yeah i think i would just like paint or draw on a thing until it died and so going into you know like to fast forward to like the end of my time at lsu and some of the paintings i make nowadays um i've you know sort of pulled back on that and and now i I approach paintings in a way that goes, you know, what will make for an interesting composition? What is it that I want to say? How can I do some exploration with color? Yeah. Um, and since I am, you know, really like biased to the subject matter that I'm painting, I think the stillness comes from me, you know, trying to say, okay, this thing is important to me. And a lot of times you can kind of cheat. You can manipulate the lighting. You can manipulate, you know, the color palette you use in order to sort of quiet the noise, right? And and let the subject be the subject and everything else sort of falls back, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think also there's, there's the sense of emptiness in some of the paintings, but that's not, I mean, for me at least... I feel very strongly that that adds to the 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 unfilled nature of the paintings make them feel um 
I don't want to use the word stillness again. It's just about there's still life there. It's just a um I don't it's just the emptiness has a has a sense of life as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just provides value for the painting as a piece to to have that space. Physical space within the the painting that that is not yeah. layered on top of right yeah i um the the trash cans happened in like such an odd way because <laughs> uh, i so when i was when i was at lsu in my last year um and this is something that i only noticed in hindsight uh i i made three or four three or four paintings where um the trash cans were pretty prevalent. Um, and this was in like 2016 and 2017. I did paintings and the trash cans were pretty prevalent. Um, and then fast forward to 2019, I was working on a show and um, the same, same sort of thing. Uh, these trash cans kept coming up and I worked out a composition for a painting that um that essentially only featured trash cans Mm -hmm. and before i ever painted it um i was talking to a friend of mine and i this was at the time that i hadn't even you know like i hadn't even started to do sketches or any sort of preparatory work for this painting but i was talking to a friend about just the idea of it and i said i think this is my favorite painting ever already (laughs) and you know as I like started to paint it and it started to come together um yeah so it came to fruition and I think it was it was pretty well received um and most of the reception that I speak of is just from people at the gallery and people online um Instagram Facebook you know it was it was you know, well-received painting, um, just the trash cans. And it was pretty interesting to to see people's different interpretations of the painting. Um, I called it family portrait and it was just like five trash cans next to each other. Uh, they were like off center within the composition. Um, and yeah, just I made one and within the show that, that I, you know, showed those, that painting in, there were only eight paintings. And so people who, you know, were, were curious about like work and were inquiring about some of the paintings, um, when you only paint eight, there, there aren't really, really many opportunities for people to, you know, be able to have access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this past December, I was, like cleaning up my studio space and putting I things in the trash can, <laughs> putting things in the trash can, throwing things away. That's <laughs> that's so funny. Why I hadn't thought of <laughs> no, I just I mean, the trash can is it's 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 such a it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. <laughs> right. So I was cleaning up my studio space, and I had all these wooden panels that a professor had given me um, a long time ago. Um, maybe a year or a year and a half ago, had all these panels. And in fact, the same friend I was talking to before I did the trash campaigning that I knew I would love, I said, you know, I think I might try to um, paint 150 of them. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, you know, for a number of reasons, um, just for the, the ability to sort of play with different compositions, um, sort of stretch and see how far I can push it um, to give, you know, people more, uh, um, you know, the ability to access the paintings. Um, so, yeah, just for a number of reasons and, you know, remembering the, the the weirdly good reception that the other trash cans have gotten, because, I mean, I don't necessarily think that something that resonates with me is going to resonate with everyone else you know um, that's not you know I don't make the paintings with 
you know, sort of that pursuit in mind. You know, I, I make the paintings and then if people respond to them, then, I, then that's great. Um, but I have to do work that resonates with me first. And so, you know, it was just something where I was like, this is, you know, something that I think will be fun. And whether or not people resonate with it, that's to be determined. But I think just as an exploration, it would be a really interesting thing to do. Um, and so that's where I am now. Today's episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you, as always, by Bookman's. Bookman's is one of my favorite businesses in Tucson because it's really based around community. So people bring belongings, their own belongings, in there to uh, trade them, to sell them, and then those things end up on the shelves and other people in the community buy them and use them. I really love how that just brings people together. Uh, there's the sense of reusing, recycling, and that feels uh, extremely important, especially right now. And of course, it's a local business that I just feel so wonderful about supporting. Uh, Bookman's has locations, three locations in Tucson, as well as one in Phoenix, one in Flagstaff, and one in Mesa. For more information, you can visit www.bookmans.com. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. The stillness that I see in the paintings, uh -huh. I'm wondering, when I watch football, it's mm -hmm. um, it's not a very still sport. <laughs> when I think about still sports, I think about golf, mm -hmm. um, which is not, uh, as everyone already knows, that's not my favorite sport to watch necessarily. Not yet, <laughs> at least. I've, I've yet to watch the 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 golf match or um, the specific golf tournament that, that really makes me feel a certain way, but that could still happen. Um, mm. So, you know, basketball, football, I mean, baseball is also a very still sport, I think, for much of it. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> like, from the perspective of a player, when you're on the field, even if there are 100,000 people, you know, mm. screaming the same thing and banging whatever like noise maker they were given at the at the like gate when they got in or whatever it is like is there stillness in football for you <laughs> absolutely um i think the i was just laughing at the uh sort of the picture in my head of uh, like people having the noise makers yes. and, <laughs> I, can, I can see why it feels like that but and football is actually a lot more um, sort of controlled and intimate than I think people would would think. It's yeah, it's it's, it's a very intimate and, and controlled thing. Um, I I mean, I wish people could get like people who are fans of the game. I wish they could they could sort of get to experience. Um, like what a football meeting is like yes. in order to, to really understand it. Because on a football field, there's 22 people, um, you know, 22 players at a time. And, you know, you can only occupy one person, right? Like, so I'm one person. But on a football field, you're not, you're, you're never looking at all 21 other players in responding to that, you know. Um, right, you're having that sort of, it's like a man-to-man. -man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you either, you know, you're watching the ball or you're engaged with one man and you're, you know, you're aware of, like, sort of what, what another position may be doing. Um, but it's, it's very much a controlled, methodical game. Um, there's not as much randomness as, as there seems to be. Um, and I can understand how, how it comes across that way. But, yeah, like on any given play, I mean, I think the, like the most... You know, on any given play, you may have to account for, like, what three people are doing. It's rarely going to be more than that. Uh, you know, most plays, it's 
you're watching a man and you're reacting to what you know that person does um and this is you know very very detail oriented and sort of methodical and um if we could sort of like you know go into like a film like watch a you know go into a film room or like a football meeting um we might watch the same play 10 times and and sort of critique every step um you know you're going to critique um like if I were a coach, right, you may say you, you can see where a player is looking based on where his helmet turns, right? Like, why'd your helmet turn that way opposed to this way? Um, why'd you step with your right foot first instead of your left foot? Why did you lead with, you know, with your right shoulder instead of your left shoulder? And so it's it's very, um, very methodical. Um, and a lot of, you know, what we do as sort of mental preparation is sort of training our minds to be still, um, you know, sort of training, training our minds to only account for, you know, like the variables that we need to take care of. Um, and so, yeah, there's, I, it, it feels really chaotic, but, but there, <laughs> I mean, there's actually a a, a, a lot of um, it's, it's really detail oriented. Yes, I um, think that the fans we make it chaotic uh, mm-hmm. in a sense um, because of the reactions, mm-hmm. which is totally fair. I mean, and I think also like, of course, the tackling brings out mm-hmm. this sort of aggressive side of fans too of you know like loving a sack (laughs) but it is yeah so I I feel like it's it's not the game it's the reaction to the game or it's the mix of having spectators (laughs) like which Uh, makes it feel like a very makes it feel like more aggressive than it might um mm -hmm. and the sounds like when I watch hard knocks um just (laughs) when they're running when they're in their practices yeah. For the preseason and stuff, like the sounds of bodies hitting each other has this yeah. very specific impact yeah. that you don't yeah. get from other. I think, you know, it's like the sound of a bat hitting a ball, like the crack. But because right. it's this um, human on human contact, I uh-huh. think it has this other result of sort of uh, riling people up. Mm hmm. Yeah, um I definitely understand it because I'm I'm still very much a fan of football. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go Tigers. <laughs> right, go Tigers. Uh to the point that I it's hard for me to even so I'm a fan, but I think I I watch it like I I still consume football in a way that I consumed it when I was playing. And so the I watched the I watched the LSU games by myself in silence. I watched the Saints games by myself in silence. Wait, sorry, are you are you muting the TV, <laughs> or are I, well, you? Or there's just no other noise besides the TV. Sometimes, sometimes I have the TV on. I have TV volume on. Sometimes I'm muted, um, or like I'll walk away when the commercials come on. So I don't, I, I consume the game. Yes. <laughs> really, I I hate that I'm like that. I have to work on it. Um, but you know, in time, (laughs) I do think so. so I think sometimes when I'm watching basketball, I mean, I, I obviously, I don't play, so I have, I'm not as sort of serious or militant about it as you, but sometimes the uh, broadcasters shape the narrative of what you think should happen or is going to happen. And they, they kind of get to decide how you're watching that game. And I like to shut them up sometimes and just look (laughs) at it as a pure sort of, um, Watch the the poetry emotion. Yes, watch the poetry emotion. Watch the narrative play out on its own without being um, informed of oh that person just you know like some random statistic or you know they've missed every shot for the last fifty shots except right. this shot. Like it gets so they they are constantly sort of grasping for 
for information to provide throughout that space. And just like we have discussed with your painting, sometimes there's value in like shutting up (laughs) and just everyone observing what's going on rather than there being this need to, but you know, that they get, that's not what they get paid for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, the other thing about kind of what the fans add to the game or take away from the game to a certain extent like when I was just watching the LSU mm. Clemson game I was just thinking I mean of course that would be a really like being in the uh, Superdome be so exciting to be there mm-hmm. but I was also thinking to myself and, and to sort of witness this a championship and feel that energy but then I was like I don't want to be around all those obnoxious fans <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's 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 almost like the things that sort of repel me in a sense is a part of is the group that I'm a part of rather than what's actually taking place on the field because mm-hmm. um, I was thinking just you know in the back of my head when the game first started I was like what if LSU loses like you know is New Orleans gonna get are people gonna like break things you know is there gonna <laughs> you know couches on fire like whatever just because um yeah fans are are much rowdier sometimes than the actual thing they're watching mm-hmm. and reacting to so i just it's just that's an interesting dynamic that um yeah i don't think like football defines how it's viewed i feel like the fans kind of hold that hold that power how it's how it's treated (laughs) yeah wow i that's one i haven't figured out because i think since i was um you know, like having been a part of LSU and, and you know, experiencing it, experiencing it from the inside out. Yes. I, and I, you know, like I know that they, you know, we're all just normal people. Um, right. Like, <laughs> you know, guys, you know, come in, like there's guys in the locker room who are, who are like stressing out about a test. Or like my strength and conditioning coach, Coach Moffitt, he would, you know, he would show me things that like his son is making or he has like a brother who does crafts and he would, you know, show me like what his brother's doing. Yeah. Coaches who would tell you about the books that they're reading and stuff like that. And so everybody, you know, it was was normal people. Um, And I, you know, these are people that I know personally, a lot of them. And so... I actually have a more, you know, I guess sober mind in terms of my fanaticism with LSU because I, these are people I know, Mm -hmm. but I can't figure it out because I'm still fanatic in that same way over the Saints, for example. Right. It's different. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) And so I, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how that happens. Um, I, I feel like maybe it's the same way with like a beautiful painting. Like I make paintings and, you know, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's a painting. Um, but then there, there's some paintings that I look at and I'm just completely moved by. Um, and, and they aren't my paintings, right? They're like other people's paintings. I see them and I'm, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's or, com- it's so hard to completely like make something that, that like affects you in that way. It's so it's impossible. Yeah, so I, yes, I, I, don't, I don't really know how that happens. Right, and I, I think that in some sense, well, I'm thinking about like the relationship between like a quarterback and a wide receiver. Like when uh-huh. we see those passes, those really long passes, yeah. and then those incredible, I mean, sometimes it's like the ball falls right into the person's arms, and sometimes it's like it takes some kind of physical, amazing feat to let you like reach out, you happen to like fake out and, you know, be, end up being in the right place at the right time, and based on your, what you're able to do physically with your body is just insane. And then I think that you can, be, in a sense, like, because you, you're a part of something, but it's like, it's this collaboration, like mm-hmm. that feels like that's there is this ability to be like sort of awestruck with what you're able to do with someone else. That's hard yeah. when it's just something that came out of you. Yeah, it, I mean, I 
so like just to speak to like the connection with players um i didn't go to any of the lsu practices this year but like i just i know from experience that a lot of the plays that were you know that were ran were were done hundreds of times mm-hmm. um in the game right like a lot of those amazing plays happened hundreds of times right and that was film watched and you know players were critiqued and you know you may have a day where you thought you did pretty well at practice and coaches like actually not <laughs> um, you know that's just sort of the nature of it and you, you know also something you said is you know people sort of all, all of this is you also have to like keep in mind that we're talking about um, world-class athletes. Um, you know, that's a component that sort of serves as kind of a separator in a lot of ways, but yeah, uh, it's, it's like, even with, you know, having a room full of world-class athletes and, um, people come in with all these different accolades and stuff, we would literally practice the same play maybe 10 times in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, we might watch the same play 10 times in a row. And, you know, um, there would be times we would, like after practice, we would take off the pads and we would we would go over the same plays that we just practiced full speed and we would just walk around and like, our socks just like redoing those plays over and over and over again um and so yeah i think that's also a part of you know like the stillness that i spoke about because once you've done something so many times like within the game it didn't it doesn't necessarily feel like you know this amazing chaotic feat it's like I've done it. I've done it so many times. I've expected it, right? <laughs> I expect to get it right at this point. Um, but yeah, then it is. Yeah, it's amazing to see when you when you're doing it against you know another athlete that's just as good and you know that's prepared just as much as you have to prevent you from doing that thing. Yes, and I think that in a sense that's a difference between art and or sort of consuming art and sports is that with artists, Mm -hmm. I think that we know that they put all this practice into it. And of course we know that with athletes too, but it's easier to forget Uh uh, sometimes when we're watching a game and it feels so of the moment, just of that specific time in that place, this sort of incredible exchange happened or this sort Mm -hmm. of larger than life event it's hard to remember that, oh yeah, they, they've they run that play, you know, 10 times the day before or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, whereas with, when you're in a museum and you see a painting or especially when you see like a solo exhibition, you're like, mm. wow, this person put a lot of time into this, you know? Mm. There's, there's none of that like sort of time-based variable right. Right. into how you take it in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I agree. I think it's something I and something about you know. There's like something at stake, I suppose, with with watching the sports. Um, even though it, you know, and you can you can say that it's all just made up. We're playing a game, right? But. <laughs> No, it matters because it, it's like part like you're you're like a tiger for life you know it's like it's part of who we are right right um so i think that's also where part of the fanaticism comes from um in terms of you know how we consume it and how you might genuinely have a bad day if your team doesn't do well or, or something like that um yeah and i guess that's like one of the main differences that we don't give with the art in terms of i mean i don't i i probably throw away like 90 percent of what i work on um 
you know, as it pertains to art. And uh, yeah, once something, once I show something or, you know, give something away or yeah. whatever the case may be, it's like, <laughs> that's like one of, you know, I maybe have like tried that thing 10 times, but that's, you know, the painting that you see is the one that like survived all of it. I guess the work feels honest in the sense that it's even just hearing you um, speak about your experience with Hurricane Katrina. Um, I just think it's it's really important to hear all the different versions of how people had to deal with that situation. And I think often the the stories that are most prevalent are the people who spent time in the Superdome living mm -hmm. there and the pictures of the flooded streets in New Orleans and that you're not thinking of, or we're not thinking so much about people who relocated. And, you know, you're, you're saying that your family, like 60 plus people living in the these two apartments. Mm -hmm. Good times. Yeah, that is, <laughs> it's just, that's, that's such a particular... I mean, and, and and I'm sure there were other families that might have had a similar experience that your family had, but like, that's not the one that's like the main narrative that's shared with the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've I've heard a lot of you know different stories about sort of what happened. Um, I I actually. For my age group in particular, um, so I was 11 when Hurricane Katrina happened, and I, I think it would have been different had it happened just like two years later or three years later, um, because we, so like I just recently reconnected with like my three best friends growing up um like literally like today is sunday so like last saturday was the first time since 2005 that like me and my three best friends all like hung out in person like talked had a conversation wow, yeah since 2005 um and it was it's like you know there's a, it's so much to catch up on um and it's just it's like this collective memory this collective um sort of experience of time and place and, and things that you know they would they would like throw out a name um of someone that maybe we went to school with that i hadn't thought about in a long time or they would like have updates on people that i hadn't you know spoken with in all these years um and so it was like this 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 reunion almost um and like that sort of thing i don't think it would have i don't think it would have taken 15 years if hurricane katrina had happened in maybe 2007 opposed to 2005 um because we were all like 11 years old and it was like right before um like right before it was acceptable for, you know, for like every eight, nine, 10, 11 year old to have a smartphone. Right, um, yes. And it was right before like social media was super prevalent among all ages. And it was right before like MySpace hadn't quite <laughs> like become popular. And I think Facebook was a couple of years, you know, away. Um, and so, yeah, there were just all these sort of things that I think had Katrina happen, you know, a year or two later, um, maybe it would have looked different uh, in terms of like the experience for a lot of people. Um, but, you know. Yeah, especially thinking about how it seems like smartphones and social media have played a a role in communication for other natural disasters yeah uh, as far as yeah i mean just like helping each other spreading information uh like sort of helping with disinformation and things like that 
I mean, mm-hmm. causing disinformation and then helping with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's tricky. Um, well, this was so, this was a really wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we'll talk soon. Thanks again, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you.